0: If talking about new travel destinations or discovering the latest travel gadgets gets your heart racing just like mine, well then, you are in the right place. Hello there, I'm Katrina Rowntree and welcome to another episode of Journeys to Come, our podcast about the wonders of travel, a place where we share memories from recent trips and we dream about upcoming adventures. So, get your passports ready and join me for Journeys to Come. I am so excited that you could join us for this Journeys to Come podcast because we are here in South Melbourne having a chat to the co-owner of the Prince Wine Store and also Belotta. We are having a chat to Alex Wilcox, but a part of the reason why I'm so excited is that Alex has just popped the champagne. This is going to be a really good chat, on well, certainly on my behalf. It's normal for Alex, but Alex, welcome.
1: Thank you. Very nice to be here. Nice to see you, Katrina. I in, know. Uh, in the little quiet lunch room upstairs at Bologna. A great spot for a little glass of bubbles.
0: Okay, salesman hat off. I want to talk to you about travel first. There's lots of things I want to ask you about. But you've got this incredible establishment here. You now have this huge reputation and you're you're slowly spreading across the nation. But something that we chatted about the first time. we met was, well, specifically when we first met, and I was heading off to do uh, a getaway story on Bordeaux, and I thought, there is no way that I'm going to really love Bordeaux because I'm not that big on red wine. How wrong could I be? And I remember you rolled your eyes at me, a little bit like what you're doing now, you rolled your eyes at me, and you said, now look, promise me that you go to a place called Arcachon, and you talk to, of all people an oyster farmer at the markets. Well, naturally, I thought you were crazy. Uh, I took your advice. I had the most wonderful time. Tell me, Alex, tell me about your love of, of the place arcachon
1: Bordeaux is a great wine region on the west coast of France, and you're correct in that it's most famous for its big red wines, predominantly Cabernet-based wines. And as being a small wine merchant we import wines from all over Europe and one of the areas that we visit regularly is Bordeaux. And one of the things, Bordeaux is a great modern city, it's uh, really accessible and it's got great shopping and so on, but it's got a fantastic food element. and Arcachon is is a est, estuary area where the Giron goes into the Atlantic. You and it's a,
0: are good. You,
1: it's a, you're a, trying to
0: cut my grass. It's a, gra-
1: it's a great it's a great spot to uh, to to grow out oysters. So what they're doing there is they're they're actually finding the small oysters and then finishing them off. And this is the key component that makes the oyster culture both in Bordeaux and Paris. So different than what we've got here they have multiple varieties of native oysters that they grow in these uh, shallow brackish waters of Arcachon and being at the source it's one of the great places to go and of course bordeaux famous red wine also produces some fantastic white wine particularly from the entre de mers the area just to the southwest of the city of bordeaux but also further north in the Gascoigne area. The Gascoigne area used to be famous for producing a lot of the, the base wine for Cognac and Armagnac and as the production of those two spirits has declined with uh, less consumer uh, demand for particularly the heavier spirits, then a lot of these producers are using their blanc and Colombard in making really crisp dry whites. Very good value, very affordable and absolutely perfect with a a freshly shucked selection of oysters for breakfast or lunch or early dinner or whatever takes your fancy.
0: The area is also quite famous for a beautiful region called Saint-Emilion, have I pronounced that correctly? Saint-Emilion,
1: yeah, so Saint-Emilion is a a famous wine town on the right bank, you have Saint-Emilion and Pomerol, and they're two very picturesque wine towns great place to visit about 25-30 minutes from the city of Bordeaux Mm -hmm. and on the right bank those wines are dominant in Merlot and Cabernet Franc and so this makes them a little bit more usually a little bit more approachable a little bit more soft and generous to the more mm, powerful long-lived wines of the Madoc where the sort of famous first gross and so on are, are more on the on the left bank these are the the, the right bank wines. And uh, and there's there's a really big interest in Australia. We've been long-term uh, supporters of the wines of Bordeaux, probably coming from our English heritage. Bordeaux has a very strong association with England, having been controlled by the English for many centuries uh, historically. The, it's, a, it's a wine area made famous through claret. That's what the English Red wine, claret. It was mm. the red wines of Bordeaux.
0: Aside from the fact that the French consider it the the uh, the, the greatest quality of life um, within that region, real estate has gone absolutely through the roof. But it's also the home of, well, possibly the world's greatest wine museum even though they don't like the term museum the city divan mm. and what I adored about going to this museum were the amount of children who were there it was so tactile it was um, there were there were glass closures that you could pick up and smell uh, that the scent of old gloves and something that I appreciate now having gone a little bit about that region is that you've got to get the children involved because they ultimately end up going around the world being involved in every element of, uh, of the wine industry and I also love the fact that there was a great appreciation in Bordeaux for Australian wines, Australian winemakers and the uh, uh, the, the talents, the skills that we bring to the table as well. How do you think that Australian wines are considered aside from Bordeaux, but around the world?
1: Australia has a very strong reputation, and we're great uh, we're great travelling wine nation. You know, the the a lot of young wine The flying winemaker was, was you know was based around an Australian who would do two vintages a year. They would make wine in Australia, and they would fly to Europe to learn from not only the Bordelais but particularly the Rhône and Burgundy and even in Champagne. And so quite often you would get young Australian winemakers or winemaking students turning up to work the vintage, to work the harvest in the big chateaus of Bordeaux to try and pick up on what they were doing differently. We've always been innovative and really trying to try and see what aspects of the old world will work well here. France is a very interesting wine market. It's very parochial. Mm. Yes, Bordeaux is an international wine city, and but that's relatively recently. I mean, the the city itself has gone through a dramatic transformation. Thanks it's to a, the new mayor. It's a beautiful city. They've put in you know great trams with no wires overhead, which maybe Melbourne will but, one day. And get they're, to trying to it. Do it they're trying to do in Sydney. Yes, it'll take them a long time, but we will get there. But the. Uh, the and, and it's and, and it's really it's really become a, a great city. Whereas before it was a bit run down, it was that that the, the, the wine clean. times were a bit flat, the port had closed and it was a bit dire. Now it's a really vibrant happening place and it's one of the only places in France where you can get international wines because the business of wine has always been based based there. One of the interesting aspects of buying wine from Bordeaux is you don't deal often directly with the chateau you go through a series of negotiants and a negotiant is a a wine broker. Now these wine brokers as Bordeaux has gone up and down in popularity have looked around the rest of the world and now there's some very big negotiant businesses based in Bordeaux that represent not only the great wines of the Grand Cru Classe and the Bordeaux market but also the top wines of Spain, Italy, America, Australia and everywhere. So you can go to Bordeaux and buy the great wines of the world in one spot and what that's brought to the city is a great understanding and culture of the world of wine Mm. and fortunately in Australia we have that quite regularly. Sydney and Melbourne are great wine cities. Adelaide and Brisbane are starting to get a real culture of being able to find international wines, international varieties. Uh, we take that for granted here. In France, if you're outside of Bordeaux, Paris, or perhaps Lyon, it's very hard to find wine, even from outside the region that you're in. If you're in Burgundy, you don't find all the wines of Bordeaux.
0: Want more travel in your day? Well then. Join us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Just search for Journeys To Come and follow us. And while you're there, hey, how about you share your own travel pics and stories with the hashtag Journeys To Come. We're here at the wine bar. The first time that I came here, I just, I think I just got back from South Africa and I had had some lovely wines, but I could not find anywhere to buy the, the wines that I adored over there here in Australia. I walk downstairs, I go straight in, and he goes, right, there are South African wines, uh, just over there. How do you source the wines?
1: Michael and I set up Prince Wine Store um, here in South Melbourne in 2003, 2004, and we, were, we deliberately wanted to have a place that was able to represent the world of wine. One of the things growing up in a wine-producing country, be it France or Italy or Australia, is you get very used to the wines that you, you've got. But in an overall market, Australia only produces about 4% of the world's wines. And there's some of the great, they're great wines, but there's also a lot more out there. And what we're really trying to do is showcase the difference, showcase the best of the other areas. We want to find the wines that, that represent the best of where they come from whether or not it's the tewa Mm. the actual soil Mm. and aspect or whether or not it's the indigenous grape variety that comes from there so how do we find them well we enjoy traveling and we find it think it's very important to be visiting the producers at their place so that you can get a sense of the landscape and the personality and the people and what makes that wine Special, whether it's the, the the steep banks of the Mosel River in Germany or the the the, the breaking down slate in the Ribera de Sacra in Galicia, or but
0: also I suppose when your customers come to you, you're able to share with them those stories. That's as you're right. Sharing that's what's them making. With us now. That's what
1: makes the wine so special, and that's what Prince Wine Store. What we're trying to do is be more than just a shop. Yes, we want to sell wine, but we want to be able to perhaps better match the customer's expectations with the wine that they get, but also provide a little bit more than just the wine in the bottle. We want to give you a little bit of the background, the story, or point you on the path to perhaps the better food match that it will go with or the way to enjoy that wine.
0: You mentioned that you love travel. That's a beautiful element of your job. On paper, your job Looks fantastic. Sounds fantastic. What is it really like traveling the world, sourcing the best wines to bring back to Australia?
1: Well, look, I'm not going to. I'm not going to say it's not great, but it is also hard work. When we go on these trips, we're uh, unfortunately limited by time and resource. So, we're not at the stage where we can uh, swan around for a month and visit one or two places a, a day or whatever. It's, Do you it's, to get much time for shopping? No shopping. No, <laughs> it's full on. There's the, you're, you're talking about going uh, usually when it's some of the cooler times of the year, so not great for sightseeing. So usually they're March, April. It's not too bad, March, but April. They're quiet but they're quieter times. But, ton, but it's suppose. quiet, so we want to be able to get around quickly. We want to be able to see two vintages. You want to be able to see the wines that we're just shipping, so the wines that are finished and bottled and ready to go, but we also want to be tasting the unfinished wines that have been harvested from the previous um, September, October, November. So that Mm -hmm. European harvest is finished primary fermentation and is just being put into barrel and so on. So it's a good time to get an assessment, an early assessment of that first vintage and to get a final check off on the one that is hopefully about to arrive back at home so do you leave
0: Australia with a wish list
1: you usually well, we definitely go with a with an itinerary a yeah. very strong plan of what we're doing because what we normally a normal day in a wine merchant tour is your first appointment will be at nine o'clock in the morning and your last one will maybe be at 630 in the evening and you'll do four to five per day you'll be tasting anywhere between between 150 and 300 different wines a day, and you'll be having to m- make a note of what those are. So you're not sitting there enjoying lunch with every single glass. You're, I would be
0: so hopeless at this job. I would just... All right, yeah.
1: I'd be you're hoping. assessing the wine. You're not necessarily writing full-on notes for everything. Do you spit the wine out? Yes. So oh, you're, 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 you're spitting the wine... But of course, there's lots of there's lots of nice elements along the way. Yeah. Often these people we've been dealing them with now for many years. They're good friends. They've been here. They've enjoyed the food. They've stayed at our house, so they like to treat us to some hospitality as well.
0: Together, we, we love our wine. But we, well, my interest and and that of our our listeners is definitely travel and tourism. Who do you see? Where in the world is really really um, uh, uh, impressing you in regards to wine tourism my Mm. favorite term
1: Australians are great travelers and we also enjoy a good food and wine culture and I think if you are interested in going to visit wine regions it's worth making a little bit of an effort if Mm. you go to Bordeaux There's plenty to see. There's plenty of opportunities for you to taste wine and visit chateaus.
0: Easy access, relatively. It's easy
1: access. You might have to pay a bit, but it's easy access. But if you have a little bit of an interest and you know where you're going, if you can... Most of these producers now have websites with the ability to contact them and the experience that you'll get if you can make an appointment to say, I'd like to visit your estate and I'll be there at this time and I've come from Australia and... I like your wine or I've had your wine before will be a completely different experience than mm. if you just rock up they're not it's not like the Yarra Valley or the hunter where they're expecting people just to drive into the, the car it's not everywhere but in most parts of of Europe however having said that you know Piedmonte in Italy is one of the world's great food and wine areas and they are incredibly open and and accessible, and there's lots of ability just to do that, just to turn up. But again, if you do make the effort of an appointment, then I think you get a, a much different experience. So Piedmonté would be one of, the, one of the the great ones. Lyon, as a city, in terms of food and wine, is incredible. fantastic. It's not yeah. a wine-growing area, but it's close to, close to the Rhône, close to Beaujolais, and got incredible, incredible food.
0: Well, what about in the States? You must forgive me for mentioning this but as you're talking I can't I keep thinking about that movie you know in um, Sideways? Thanks, yes.
1: America America, and the Napa Valley Sonoma uh, have been set up incredibly ah. well for uh, wine tourism and, uh, and it's big business but again the ones that you find or we find most interesting are sometimes not the ones that have the biggest car park and the biggest restaurant out the front but you can go to napa it's an hour drive north of san francisco and have a fantastic day out and try some amazing wines but if you take the extra effort and go that little bit further over the hills to sonoma or up onto spring mountain or Howe mountain which are the mountains either side of the napa valley then all of a sudden you're experiencing some of the world's great Cabernets from that Napa area or some fantastic Pinot and Chardonnay from Sonoma and Russian River. And in there, there are still great restaurants and there are still some great properties to visit, but they're not all lined up on the main road of, of Healesville. And And I think a lot of Australians really enjoy that sense of adventure and yes. doing a little bit of their own thing. Not for everyone. You can easily get on a, a good tour and 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 do the big names but uh i strongly recommend making that that little bit of that that extra extra effort effort.
0: i have a selfish question uh i'm about to go to to italy i've got a friend's wedding i'm going around the area of como got any tips oh
1: well Well, you're right in that i mean como is a a spectacular i mean i i'd only i hadn't been there until very recently uh, about a month ago
0: an espresso with George Clooney?
1: Didn't didn't happen to oh. bump into him, but I did have plenty of coffees along the lakeside in the sunshine. So he must have he was probably just on the next table and I didn't didn't recognize him. Going off to a wedding probably. That, that's right. As well. <laughs> Como is north of Milan. Milan is a great great town, great city. Milan is about an hour, hour and a half drive from Piemonte, which is well worth a visit, but if you're in Como and you've had enough of sitting on the side of the lake drinking bubbles or whatever, a short drive, I would say 45 minutes up into the Alps, into northern Lombardy, is an area called Veltalina. Uh-huh. And Veltalina is this spectacular alpine valley where you've got steep-sided valley on both sides and these incredible Ancient stone terraces, six foot, seven foot high stone terraced vineyards where they're growing Nebbiolo. So Nebbiolo is a red grape variety that is behind Barolo and Barbaresco and Piedmonte. But up there in Valtellina, they make this beautiful, elegant, fine, lifted, perfumed Valtellina Nebbiolo, and it's well worth well worth a visit. You can sit there, perched on top of a stone terrace, with snow capped Alps to one side snow-capped mountains behind you some beautiful you know meats cooked over over open fire and some good alpine cheese and it's it's it's, Living it's it, is, life. it is A 100 miles away from como and the tourist area it's a very unknown little wine area and uh but really becoming quite popular there's a big i think 180 kilometer long mountain bike path trip that goes through the whole area along through the vineyards
0: travel is often best shared with friends and family so please share this podcast with your travel companions and make sure you subscribe to our podcast feed wherever you collect your podcasts i need to break this down i feel like we could do a documentary in regards to your knowledge on wine and travel am i right alex you're a boy from tassie
1: yeah, from uh, from Tasmania. Grew up in Launceston and uh, had a couple of years in Hobart and and enjoyed enjoyed wine. Mum and dad weren't necessarily, you know, they liked wine, but I I, I, I like wine. And I had a had a year off between school and university, where I had been working in pubs and doing the normal thing in England and just getting by. And uh, and I ended up having four months on a push bike riding around Europe. I started in Frankfurt and. Rode to Poland and Austria and Switzerland. That and is a little bit months.
0: unusual. I, I can't say I can relate to that story.
1: No, it wasn't, you know, I sort of, I had all my stuff. and it, So I've spent four months on this bike and I rode through, by sheer chance, through all these wine regions and saw the vineyards and tasted the wine and met the people. Anyway, I got back to Sydney and I was down to do a law degree and I did a couple of weeks of that and thought, I'm not so sure I want to be a lawyer. The, the wine was... Quite good, so. So at University of Sydney, it's a
0: great skill. It's a great skill to have, but you use it, I'm sure, all the time now. Certainly, you're debating
1: skills. Well, well, I I did two weeks of law, and then I changed to agricultural economics, which was a a degree at the University of Sydney. I did two years there, and then I was able to go to UC Davis in California, right near the Napa Valley, and specialize in wine and wine trade. And so, when I came back to do my honours year in Sydney, I was pretty much on the track to move into being a wine merchant and toyed with wine production and looked around all different indus- different parts of the industry but it have ended up uh, being a wine merchant in terms that we go and find wine, talk about wine, educate.
0: You know, listening to that story, you'd almost think, God, there's, there's a book in that. And funnily enough, <laughs> <laughs> there sort of has been a book in that. The The... The, the person that brought us together initially was your beautiful, beautiful wife, Kirsty, Kirsty Manning, who is a, a celebrated author, and uh, and of course she did the Midsummer Garden.
1: No, no, no real what? life aspects in the Midsummer Garden. Okay,
0: I'm just going to ask you very quickly. <laughs> there is a there's a bit of a love interest called Jack.
1: Oh well, I can't in, I can't oh, comment. I've he's been tall. told I've been told that it's all fiction.
0: Uh, are you blushing? But I don't maybe, know about but this. Maybe. Uh, maybe
1: can I think, pick up on this? I think, uh, think Kirsty was taught very early on in her writing course that, that it's good to write from experience for the first book. So maybe there was some elements of real life motivation behind some of the fictional characters.
0: How did you meet Kirsty? I uh, love a love story.
1: Uh, well, we were at university together uh, in Sydney. I actually uh, met. Kirsty's sister at first. She was going out with a friend of mine, and, and uh, we were at college throughout the Sydney University College system. So we met, it, that met is, at uni.
0: You're kidding me? That's all you're going to give me. Oh, that okay, is absolutely well. <laughs> pathetic. You rave on.
1: So the, the non-stop real story. stop
0: about wines, and I ask you about how you met your wife. You go, We met at uni. Wow. Okay. Can you give? Can you like milk it in any other way? Okay, I know what I want to ask you. So you might have met at uni, but now you're living on a is it an old walnut? Is it a chestnut, uh, grove. chestnut grove at the base of Mount Macedon? Life has led you on an extraordinary adventure together, hasn't it?
1: Oh yeah, we've had a, we've had a great time. We we uh, we found the chestnut grove about eleven years ago, and uh, it was a funny story. We had. Uh, Henry, who was probably one, I think, at the time, and Jemima was sort of not quite there, but getting close. And uh, we were living in in Carlton in Melbourne, and you know we had two, and who knew what else? We were living in a small terrace, and it, Carlton it was just a bit too expensive for for what we could afford at the time. Kirsty was working in publishing, I was working in wine. We, were, in fact, we were, had just got next door going, so. Everything was in the, in the business and uh, and we were driving, we had some friends up in Mount Macedon we were driving along and there's this dirt road that leads into Braemar College which is a small secondary school on the north side of Mount Macedon. It's the old Clyde School, it's mm. a magnificent old weatherboard mansion and we drove in just to have a bit of a sticky beak and uh, we're coming out and it's quite late, it's Sunday afternoon, Kirsty's, you know, uncomfortable and... Uh, Heavily pregnant, pregnant. Yeah. yes. And... Uh, and Henry's asleep in the back. And anyway, there's this little dirt road and, and, and right off the road. And I drive up there and just go, why are we going up here? You know, you're always taking me on crazy yeah. little trips. Anyway, That's why she loves it. So we go up there and there's this big chestnut grape, fully green leaf, really established trees, 40-year-old trees. And I go, there, chestnut trees. Imagine how good it would be to... To live there. And he goes, You don't even know what a chestnut tree is. How do you know what a chestnut tree I'm is? I'm feeling
0: the love, I'm feeling the respect. Yeah.
1: So, anyway, so we're driving back down the road, and then there's another little dirt road. I drive down there, and by this stage, she's completely.
0: I'm going to give it. birth. That's
1: right. But at the end of this road, on the side of the chestnut grave, was a for sale sign. And, uh, and so we managed to buy the block, and we built a new house there, and we've built a garden. Well, I built the walls, and Kirsty did the garden part and uh, it's great.
0: How do you manage it Um, living at Mount Macedon which is a good hour away um, is that your your release to go there is it is it frustrating to have the distance between the 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 wine bar? There's
1: definitely times when the commute is a bit of a pain but uh, we're fortunate up there and this is one of the main reasons we went there is there's both quite a good freeway to get there so it's about a 45 minute drive from South Melbourne which is not too bad but it's also very good on the train so the the V line Bendigo train it's only two stops to Southern Cross so I normally try and catch the train uh, three or four days a week and so that's not too bad.
0: It's a pretty charmed life for a boy from Tassie. That's pretty, that's pretty it's pretty good. I can't complain. Can't complain. Can't complain. What are you most excited about in regards to your next travels? Is there a wine that you oh, you really want to hunt down? You want to go to this winery
1: or Oh, there's two there's there's an area. I've never been to Sicily and we uh, just last weekend we had a, a a big tasting of the Sicilian wines, particularly from Mount Etna. There's a grape variety there called Nero Mascalese, which is a red a a light sort of tannic red, the Barolo of the south, it's nickname, and uh, from the north side of Mount Etna... Volcanic volcanic, soil, totally different terroir, right. Beautiful, beautiful lifted aromatics. So, I really want to go and have an explore there. And then another place I'd like to go back to is uh, in Galicia in northwestern Spain. There's an area called Ribera de Sacra. And this is uh, Roman. This
0: is wonderful for its walking tours as yeah,
1: well. Yeah, or a lot of that pilgrim, mm, the, the pilgrim's the Pilgrim's trail go through there. But uh, th- this, uh, this, this grape variety called Mencia is grown up there, and it's fantastic. So, those are the two spots I'm looking forward to.
0: While you're listening, why not add some travel to your inbox? Sign up for my weekly travel updates at journeystocome.com. And I do just have to ask this in regards to, to the, you know, the, the wine bar. and uh, you, I know that you've, you've, you've opened up in, in Sydney as well. Do you see this as something that's going to spread its tentacles right across, well, well, who knows? Well,
1: the Sydney market's very exciting and it's and it's changing a lot. I think the the small bar and the ability for people to experience different wines more easily in Sydney has really changed the, the, the market quite a bit. And we feel that there's a good need to have one good store in a big city like Sydney and Melbourne um, where people can have an experience. A lot of our customers don't come to us every day to buy their wine and they don't buy all their wine from us. But... They, we like to be able to put on good events, have good tastings and educate people about wine. So we need enough space to do that and we were able to do that both in Zetland and in South Melbourne and we hope to be able to bring a hospitality element like Ballotta to that Sydney space in the next 12 months, two years. So that'll be the next big step. And then further afield, yes, there's definitely interest in places like Brisbane and Adelaide and, and Perth and Hobart. They already have some good operators there that we support through our wholesale business, so we're not we're not looking to do that anytime. Well soon, I know that but why not?
0: Aussies just love their food and wine and knowing the success that you've found here, I know that we will we will adore it. I, I do just want to ask you quickly, are you online?
1: Yeah, so we've got a we've got an online store that lists all the wines. Because of, of course, the wines that we import directly is only a small part of the wines that we that we sell. So, the the website princewinestore.com.au has all of our wines and has all of the offers and events and masterclasses. We're also a very uh, strong wine education. Stream. So I've mentioned that a few times. But yeah, that's your passion, I can tell. But we, uh, we run a, 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 an English-based wine accreditation system called WSET, the Wine and Spirit Education Trust. And that's for both consumers and wine professionals. And that sort of is a building block that leads up finally to the WSET diploma. And then sitting above that is this rarefied environment of the master of wine and so there are very few Masters of Wine, we're lucky to have a few of them who help us come and teach the courses uh, and so that's a big program that we run and we also run a really fun program of introductory wine courses, Spanish wine courses, French wine courses, so one of the things like we, that. we get quite a lot of interest is for groups who are about to go on a big trip maybe to France or Italy they'll come in with their group they're going with and we'll give them a little two hour or couple of night sessions on the wine regions that they're going to. So when they land on the ground, they've got a bit of a better understanding about some of these different grape varieties, some of the producers, some of the different terms that they might see on the label because quite often people are a little bit off-put by European wines in particular because it doesn't say Shiraz or Mm. Chardonnay or Sauvignon Blanc on the label. It's more about where the wines come from. And so the wines are labelled by their region or by their appellation control... Designation, so you know you might be in the Loire Valley, and you might like Sauvignon Blanc, but unless you know that Sauvignon Blanc is the grape variety that goes into Sancerre or Pouilly Fume, you might miss out on trying some of the great. Sauvignon Blanc that there is.
0: The wonderful thing about establishing something like that is you education you educate them initially before they go off on their holiday, and then I would imagine that would that would create a relationship. They would then come back and uh, they'd feel comfortable to come here and then to buy the wines that they've been introduced to whilst travelling.
1: Absolutely. And, and and I think it's a great it's it's a it's a great thing to be able to do it before you go away mm. so that you can really experience some a bit more about the food and wine when you're there but it's also, there's nothing more frustrating than having this great wine when you're overseas and then you can't get it when you you come back here because there's no importer or it's not available so one of the other things we really like to try and do is go, you know, suggest a few places to visit where they can then come back Buy a bottle and share it with their friends who weren't able to go.
0: And just quickly before we go, because I know that you travel in a very different way to me. I generally take the biggest suitcase I can possibly find and put everything into it. And there you are riding around Europe on a bike for four well, that months. Was a,
1: that was a long time ago. But, yes. But I uh, normally, uh, normally I we travel quite quickly and lightly, and so there's uh, not no big suitcases. And, As I say, uh, different to me. That's right.
0: What do you always pack?
1: Uh, I always pack some very comfortable shoes and thick socks because it's usually very cold in cellars uh, where we're standing around all day. So you need to have good, good, not leather soled shoes because the, the the moisture and cold just seep straight through. So whenever we're there for on a wine trip, you've got to have good rubber based shoes, which is a little bit sort of utilitarian, but that's what, that's that's what we that's what we do and. Uh, and these days, of course, getting around is a, is a lot easier but up until a few years ago it was always to make sure you had a, a tom-tom or something with good maps for these funny little roads and wherever you, were, wherever you were going. But
0: Best winery you've ever been to?
1: The thing that makes great wine great is not necessarily the winery or even the winemaker but it's the vineyard. And so visiting some of the great vineyards is one of the greatest pleasures in wine because that's where the actual wine comes from. That's where the energy comes from. So standing on top of the the, the, the hills in Cote Roti in the Northern Rhone or standing on top of you know, Wellness her mm. in the central Mosul where you've got these, you know, more than 40 degree steep sloped Riesling vineyards going straight down to the river or, or... And the
0: history of those vineyards. That's
1: right. They've been making wine in the same way for Three, four, five, six hundred years. You go to Shatnaf to pub. You're standing in the middle of a plain of the the grouet, the, the, the the big pudding stone-sized pebbles. There's no there's no soil, and yet these vines are little head train vines sticking out. So, why you
0: describe that so beautifully. I wore heels when I went there to the pudding stone oh, pebbles. Yes, not a good, not no, a good, no, should have had my rubber-soled <laughs> shoes. <laughs>
1: have had your rubber-soled I've shoes.
0: got one last question. I feel very disrespectful. What is the uh, uh, is it champagne? What what no, is it's, it?
1: We're not in, it's not actually champagne, uh, but it's a sparkling wine from France that we've, that we've got here in the glass. So, champagne, of course, has to come from the Champagne region and uh, is usually made from Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and Pinot Meunier. And we have some very good champagne, but we've uh, we've got a big dinner tonight, and uh, we've decided to go with a very good quality, but uh, slightly less expensive, so a good value sparkling wine. This comes from the Loire Valley in France, so in that central Loire, just near Orleans, south of Paris. And this is Chenin Blanc with a little bit of Chardonnay, but the thing that makes this great is that it's method champenoise, so it's made in the same way as Champagne, in terms of the, the secondary fermentation, which gives it the bubbles, occurs in the bottle. And uh, for a sub-$20 retail priced French bubbles, it's... Uh, Delicious. Le Chateau
0: is the way to go. The way to go. Alex Wilcox, I'm so proud of you. You have done so well. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Journeys to Come. If you want any more information on the places that we visited or the people we spoke to, then visit our website, journeystocome.com, for full details.